morning. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Pastor Dan, for your friendship and for this opportunity. I want to I start this morning by just encouraging you to really be appreciating and to support and to, to uplift uh, Pastor Dan. I, I am here be, because the things that he often talks about where you're loving and investing in people relationally, even when you have like nothing immediately to gain. Um, I, I'm here because he, he did that with me. We, we moved away from a season up in Portland and we were, we were coming down. We were actually just going to get what we thought would be like a normal job and then we we're kind of try to work and make some money to fund ministry and um, it, it really didn't work. In fact, if you, if you want the long, sad story, uh, we can sit down sometime and I'll, I'll give you the sob story. But Dan just decided to be my friend, kind of with nothing to gain. I, I wasn't, we weren't necessarily attending here and I wasn't, I wasn't really partnering in, in what he was doing, but he walked with me through that and cared with me and prayed for me and um, that's really what drew us here in the first place. And so as he's sharing about reaching out and investing in people, that's, that's something that he does. And I, I believe that what God calls a church to do, he, he brings the right person to lead. Um, and and what, what Dan does or what Dan doesn't do, um, how he responds to the Lord or not is actually of key importance to the overall direction of the church. I, I think that things that, that God has done and is doing in Dan's life have to do with the whole future of the church. So please be lifting him and his wife up specifically in prayer um, and following. And I, Dan, I appreciate you. And I, I thank you for the opportunity to speak today. It's an honor to be able to share God's word. And I, I want to give you a warning and, uh, and a solemn promise um, as I begin today. This, the solemn promise is that I will try not to lie to you. So the Bible says that when you speak, especially in this capacity, you need to speak as though you're speaking the very words of God. And I'll be held accountable for that. And I, I take that very, very seriously. And so before the fear of God, I, I will try not to lie. I will not, try not to deceive you. Um, and, I, and, I, and I mean that. Uh, but the warning is that I might. I might tell you the wrong thing. I, I might say the wrong thing. So you need, to, you need to test everything that I say, and you need to test that by the actual word of God. You need to test that against what God actually says. I did not mean, I did not mean to test it based on it ministering to your heart. In fact, the phrase ministering to my heart is a phrase that I have become somewhat skeptical of because it's kind of Christianese for I like it. Something ministered to your heart, then we'll, we'll tend to take it. So if, if what I say ministers to your heart, or if you like what I have to say, that does not mean it's true. You need to test that against what God actually says. However, if what I say does not minister to your heart, in fact, if you don't like it, or if you don't like me, and you go home and you think that is not a very nice person, and I hope Dan doesn't have him speak again, that does not mean that it's not true. 
and you need to test it according to what it actually says, whether or not it's what God has said in his word. So, I will be held accountable for what I say. You are held accountable for what you do with it. This morning, uh, we're in our fourth week of Love Where You Live, and we've been looking at just sort of being all into where God has placed you. We've been looking at how Jesus responded to certain distractions or certain interruptions in, in what he was doing um, and kind of using that as a way to, to talk about how, how do we respond to what God is doing in our day-by-day moments. If you are here today and you are kind of on the fence about following Jesus, or you're investigating Jesus, you're investigating the claims of Christ, and you're, you're thinking about maybe really following him wholeheartedly, we are glad that you're here. We want you to be here. Um, and we would love to find time to talk with you about that. But I want to tell you that today's message is really geared toward people who are all in. In other words, you are already living in a way where you're trying to listen to what God wants you to do moment by moment, and you're wanting to do it. So you, you want to know God's will, you're listening for God's will, and when you think you know God's will, you intend to do God's will. And that's what you're living for, and that's kind of how you would categorize yourself. There are some challenges in that, and I, I think this message is really for you today. I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians 7:35. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's actually talking about marriage and whether or not marriage or not is a good idea in family relationships, and he's giving advice on these things. And then he says this, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So for those of you, and you're, you're going after undistracted devotion, which is kind of confusing with our series, because we're talking about how God sometimes uses distraction to guide us, but we don't want to be distracted from where God is guiding us. And so some distractions are good and some distractions are bad, and that's, that's not always very clear. It's not always very clear to me. But we're going to look at some of that tension and some of those issues that come up. I want you to imagine a time in your life or, or just go back to a time in your life when, when God called you into something or you felt like God wanted you to do something and you obeyed and it went really well and you saw God move, and you saw God work with you, and you were like, this is really awesome. I had a time like that. It was, I was needing a job, and we ended up interviewing for a youth pastor position up in Portland. And uh, praying through that, we, we decided that God, God would like us to go, and they, they hired me. And for two years, it was like I could do no wrong. For two years, everything I tried to do, if, if I even thought about doing something, I felt like the Holy Spirit just went ahead of me and opened all the doors and removed all the obstacles. It was so loud of a favor that I had to be careful in asking for money. No, no joke. This is not usually a ministry problem, but if I, if, if I asked for money, they would give more than I needed, and I began to be concerned um, that I was going to be held responsible for all these surplus kingdom dollars that were being thrown at me. Just, we had, we had revival things happening in the youth group that looked like old, like old-time revivals, and it was amazing. If you've ever been in a season where it just seems like 
you're, you're obeying, you're doing what God's telling you to do, and it's blessing. This is what's easy to have happen. You think, this is awesome, this is it. This is how, it's, this is how it should be. And so what God is doing here, and you, you start to get these like big, big kingdom-ish dreams and ambitions, so what God's doing here in this youth group, it's going to grow, and it's going to spread, and it's going to spread to all the other churches and all the other youth groups here in Portland, and then we're going to take Oregon, and then we're going to take the United States, and, and we'll do the Americas, and we'll write some curriculum, and we'll sell some books, and we're going to teach everybody how to follow Jesus, and it'll just spread around the world, and God will be glorified, and I'll be standing right there doing what I was supposed to. And it's just, it's awesome, and you're like, woo, and you want it to go and go and go. Well, I, I think the apostles, the 12 apostles that Jesus chose might relate to that kind of enthusiasm and that kind of excitement. We're going to be in Mark 6 and Matthew 14, and we're going to look at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, but we're, we're going to kind of take both books so we can get the biggest, the fullest picture as we can, and we're not going to necessarily center on the feeding of the 5,000. We're going we're gonna to look at sort of the events that come before and then what comes immediately after because it, it, gives, it gives a lot of detail, but we, we end up having this picture of, of this season of time, of this moment of time with Jesus and his disciples. In Mark 6, starting at verse 6, it says that Jesus is going around the villages and teaching and he summoned the 12 and he began to send them out in pairs and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So he starts sending them out in twos, and they go out and they preach. And they start anointing people with oil, and people are getting healed, and demons are coming out of people. If you're a professional Christian, like I have been, where you're actually trained to be like a pastor, um, the first time like, one of the things that we do is we anoint people with oil sometimes when we pray, and the first time you do that, it's weird. At least it was for me. Um, because you, you take oil and you, you anoint somebody with it, and then you pray. So the first time I did that, I'm like, okay, I'm doing it, you know, and you, you anoint them with oil, and then I prayed that they would be healed, and they weren't. Um, so hopefully they felt like they were cared for because I at least tried to express that in my prayer, but, but that's, that's what happened. But Jesus sends the 12 out, and they're anointing with people, and they're getting healed. I'm, I'm guessing the first time that happens, these are blue-collar workers, by the way, that Jesus has chosen, um, and, and they're praying for people, and de demons are coming out, and the crowds are responding really well, and I'm sure they're feeling like, this is amazing, this is awesome, we're just going to take this thing for Jesus. So as they go out, they're sort of developing, I don't know, um, sort of followings of their own. Well, while this is happening, John the Baptist, and the Bible says that John the Baptist is one of the greatest men born of women, and it's, it's, it's a sad story, I, I won't go into it, but John the Baptist is in prison and he ends up being beheaded. So if you've ever been on a short-term mission trip, I think what we've read here is like the, it's the first short-term mission trip. Um, where the disciples are out, and so I'll, I'll, I'll read what it says. It says, um, Mark 6, 12, and 13, they went out and preached the gospel to people to repent, and they were casting out many demons and anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And so like we do, sometimes if you've ever been on, how many have been on a short-term mission trip? 
kind of exhausting and intense. You've just saved up and you spend a couple of weeks or whatever pouring into this one group of people and you come back and you're exhausted, but you're usually kind of on a spiritual high because of all the awesome things that you've seen God do. And then you have a testimony service. Does that sound right? Okay, good. So they're, they're doing the same thing. They're going to come back. They're coming back and they're ready to give a testimony they're, to tell Jesus all the amazing things that's happened. They've got crowds of people with them. Well, as they come back and they're sharing all the things that has happened with Jesus, word comes back from John's disciples that he's been beheaded. So I, I, I want you to just try to put yourself where the apostles would be. You've been on this high, but you're exhausted. You're, you're emotionally charged because of all the amazing things that God has done for you, but you just found out that a dear friend and a brother has had his head cut off. So imagine, if you will, like things are going very well and you're seeing God do awesome things and then you find out that one of your loved ones is beheaded. You're going to be, among other things, basically emotionally spent. Matthew 14, 12 says, John's disciples came and took away the body and buried it and they went and reported to Jesus. Mark 6, 30 says, the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all they had done and taught. This is happening at the same time. Which brings us to what Jesus says next. Mark 6, starting at verse 31. And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a little while. For there were many people coming and going. In fact, many of these people have come back with the disciples. And they did not even have time to eat. So they've come back emotionally charged, good and bad. They haven't had time to eat, and Jesus says, you know what, guys, we need to get some time away. They think it's a good idea. They jump in a boat, just the 12 of them, Christ, and they head out to sea. They went in a, away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them, and it adds this, many things. Now, I want you to imagine, like, you, you, you've gone out, you've done the mission like Jesus told you to. You've come back and he said you need a break, and so you're taking a break like Jesus told you to. And you're pulling in, kind of docking, and there is a crowd, and it's a big crowd, there is a crowd of needy people, and Jesus begins to teach them many things. Matthew reports the same thing. Matthew 14, starting at verse 13, says, Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard about this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he came ashore, he saw the crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Now, this goes on all day. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is secluded and the hour is already past to eat. In other words, it's past dinner time. Send the crowds away so they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Have you ever been politely dismissed from a conversation or an event by someone saying something like, well, you know, 
I want to respect your time, and I, I know that you probably need to get yourself some dinner, and I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to keep you. Um, what are they actually saying? They're saying leave. What they're actually saying is we want to eat, and we do not intend to feed you, and we can't, leave, we can't eat until you leave. Would you please go home? So if, if anybody ever says, like, well, I want to respect your time, this is polite, but what they're saying is, would you please leave now? Okay, the apostles come to Jesus, and they're like, please send them away so that they can get themselves some food. Remember, they had been exhausted, they had been tired, they had not had time to eat, they have been ministering all day, so who else hasn't had time to eat? What they have among them is five loaves and two fish, which is not enough for 12 blue-collar men. And actually, if you've ever been around just normal working guys, guys, you know, they, they use their muscle and they do stuff for a living. That's what I was going to try to do, and it didn't work. But, like, those guys, if they are tired and hungry, this is not always, you know, going to bring out the best in them. Anybody familiar with the term hangry? Okay, I resonate strongly with that word. Um, and I don't even do this. So they're, they're wanting time for dinner and maybe to get to that break that Jesus had told them to take. But Jesus says to them, they do not need to go. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have nothing here except five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. They have the people sit down on the grass, but Luke, in Luke's gospel, he gives this little piece, this little piece of information. Luke 9 says, but he said to his disciples, have them recline to eat in groups of about 50. There are 5,000 men there, it says, plus women and children. A normal Jewish family at the time was not a Jewish man one wife, and a single child. That's, that's really not how, how their family sizes worked usually. But for the sake of just illustration, let's say that basically there's a wife and a child per man, and so a conservative estimate of the numbers is 15,000, okay? 15,000 people, and you're just supposed to have them sit down in groups of 50. I want you to just do this exercise with me. Imagine 11 people. You can pick whichever 11 you want, 11 people that you know, and they can be the best leaders and the best administrators, the best organizers, right? You got it? You've got you and, you and your 11. Now, you're going to go into a stadium, and in the stadium, there are 15,000 people. And your group of 12 is going to be told, now just break them up into groups of 50. If you've worked with children or youth, and there are 20, and you're trying to break them into groups of four, it's next to impossible. Can you imagine the work it takes to break them into 50? And just, Jesus is just like, well, just, just get that done. Let's just break them into groups of 50. So the disciples, it says, does it. So all we have from Luke is have them recline to eat in groups of about 50 each, they did so. They got it done. 
had them all recline. Matthew 14, starting at verse 19. And ordering the crowds to sit down on the grass, he takes the five loaves, the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd, and they all ate and were satisfied. Now, I'm guessing that the disciples are eating while they do this. I hope they're eating while they do this. Which, so you're, you're passing out the food, you're passing out the fish, and then you're, I know it's not very sanitary, but you're probably eating on the fly. When the meal was done and everybody's satisfied, Jesus says, now clean it up. Pick up the leftover pieces. And it says there are 12 full baskets. So I just, just run the day. You left, you were going to take a break. You show up, there's a huge crowd. We minister all day. We have them sit down in groups of 50s. We pass out the food. We've picked up the food. What are you hoping is going to happen next? You're, you're probably going to get to that time of rest. We're at verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately afterward, he compelled the disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray when it was evening, and he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the winds were contrary. In other words, he sends them straight from there onto a boat, out into a storm. And he goes up and he prays. In Jewish culture, in, in scripture, they, they didn't have like the police system that we have for security. And so at nighttime, you had, you had the watch. And the watch basically would just sort of make sure that things were good and fine during the evening hours. So the first watch was from 6 to 9. That's when things would be getting dark. You had second watch. That's from 9 to midnight. You have third watch, that's from midnight to three, and you have the fourth watch, that's from three to six in the morning, and that sort of completes your night cycle of the watch. Matthew 14, 25 says, and in the fourth watch of the night, that means between three and six in the morning, these guys have probably been up about 24 hours now, he came to them walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter responded and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And when he began to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why are you doubting, Peter? Where is your faith? By the way, the, the word faith in the New Testament is the same word for faithfulness. So where is your faithfulness? Peter, where is your faith? Can we, just, can we just do a timeout? Is this a hard question? Where is my faith? Um, well, Let's see, where, where, where's my faith? I, I have left my job. I follow you full time. I've done everything you told me to do. You sent me on a short-term mission trip, and I went. I, I, I came back. You, you, you told me to take a break. I, I went with you to take a break. We pulled into shore. Um, then we ministered all day. We had the people sit down. We fed the food. We collected the food, and you sent me out here to the storm, and I got out of the boat, and I walked to you. What exactly do you need to see? 
Now, I know we're not supposed to have this mood with the Lord, but do you ever wonder what you need to do to prove to the Lord that you're all in? Do, do, do you ever feel like, what, what else can I show you? I am doing all the things that I know to do. It, it was hard, and I think it is hard, when you have walked with Jesus and you've had success. So, just like 24 hours before, Jesus is asking the question, where is your faith? Peter is excited to come back and tell Jesus all the awesome things that's been happening. You're rocking it. Ah, look, look where you're at now. When I feel like things are going well, I often want to get stuck right there because I have this idea that if I can just keep things going good, if I can keep that happening, then, then we're just going to go on and up and it's going to be better and better and stronger and greater. But actually what happens in my life is that that season almost never lasts. And I often feel like there, there, there must be something wrong with my faith, there must be something wrong with what I'm doing. Why, why didn't we stay where it was strong? Why don't, why don't we stay at the spiritual high point? This has happened to the apostles while they're, while they're following Jesus. When Jesus got into the boat, the wind stopped. Mark, Mark 6 says, when he got into the boat with them, the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained insight from the incident of the loaves. Matthew 14, 33 says, those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are truly God's son. When Jesus sends the apostles out, the truth is they, they don't really understand the kingdom of God very well. They don't understand the Messiah very well. They, they believe that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah, but what they think the Messiah is going to do is that he's going to come and he's going to set up an earthly kingdom, and so the nation of Israel is going to take over the world, and Jesus is going to be the king. And so when they go out and they preach, they're like, hey, we're, we're on board, and we're... And God does work through them, and people are brought to Jesus through them, but the problem is that their vision for what is happening is this big compared to what God is actually doing. They are looking for an earthly win, and God is working on eternal wins. God is working on making people eternal sons and daughters of himself, and they're trying to make things go good in the here and now, which I totally get. Anytime that the Lord tells me to do something, and I think, I, I think I'm following him, I think I'm hearing him, I have to imagine how that's going to look, and that's what I end up trying to do. But anytime I get off, what's probably going to happen is that God's going to lead and direct and steer in other ways. I think they have one idea for what it means when they go out and preach in twos. I think they have another idea for what it means when they come back and they're going to go and rest. And I think they're wrong on both counts. And I think it's been a long day, and I think you're, they're tired. I get tired. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not my vision, it's his vision. It's, it's not what I think is being accomplished right now. It's what 
he's accomplishing right now, and you either choose to, to trust him in that and walk with him in that. Or you're going to get frustrated and try to go your own way. Can I have the worship team come back? I, I love how scripture at times sucks into just one moment or a couple of moments. It's interesting when you're reading through scripture, there are times that you'll have a couple hundred years go by and the Bible just paraphrases it and then you'll have a couple of days and it sucks in and it gives you all these details like kind of what we just read. Like it's inviting you into kind of that space, like it's inviting you into that moment. Can I encourage you to trust God with where you are? We've, we've been talking in this service like love, love, love where you live. Can, can I trust you to love when you live? That's, that's not always easy. Um, did any of you struggle loving when you lived during COVID? Or family sickness or brokenness? When, when you can look back and you can remember times that like it seemed like you and God were just going to take the world and like now you're you're frustrated, you're barely getting by, and it feels like Jesus himself is like, where's your faith? Because he's in that moment with you. He's working in that moment. It is the same God that we're partnering with, and it is the same eternal-sized scope that is happening. And I, I would love it. I mean, if you're, if you're like me, and there's, I know we're very different, but there are probably some ways you are, we, we, we would like to hit the high. We would like to hit the success. We would like to hit when it looks good. We would like to hit when we feel like if this grows and everybody else did it, everything would just, whew, yay, and God wins, and we look like we did what we were supposed to do, and it's going to be awesome. But what God is actually doing in me is changing my character and changing my nature and changing my beliefs and bringing me along so that his passion, his heart, his, his way is being birthed and grown into me. And I honestly just don't, I usually don't get it. I'm, I'm usually like the apostles, and I'm just, I'm trying to obey, but I, I feel like I'm just, you know, one minute I'm a hero, the, the next minute I'm basically a jerk. We can trust him in that, and we can hold on. And I want you to, if anything else, just keep, keep following him and keep trusting him in the moment. Galatians 6, I'm going to close with this, verse 9 says, let us not become discouraged in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not become weary. And I don't think that means if don't, don't feel tired. God knows that we'll feel weary. In fact, sometimes when we're following God, he's going to bring us through things that, that will make us feel tired. You know when the, when the apostles were actually able to get a break? It was after the storm when they got to the other side. People recognize them and they run off to the towns to find people to bring them to Jesus. And so the time that it took the people to run off to the towns and come back, they, they all would have had a little downtime. Probably not at all what they were thinking. 
Let us not become discouraged in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not become weary. Don't give up. Just keep going with Jesus. Keep following him in that moment. goes on to say, So then, while we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you are a God who partners with us. I thank you are a God that commissions us. And I thank you for the seasons that we have that are successful and fun and look amazing. Lord, I also thank you that you are with us in the details, in the moments of our life, in the seasons that do not seem successful, in the seasons that are exhausting, in the seasons that just seem mundane and feeding the meal and cleaning up and doing our normal day-by-day tasks and we're wondering where you're at in it and if you're working in it. When you send us into a time of storm and difficulty, Lord, I pray that you will give us the heart and give us the courage to trust you, not to trust our own our own imagination, our own idea of how the details are going to look or what's going to happen in the future, but to trust you and to stay with you and to to acknowledge you are the Son of God and you have the answers and really what I need to do is just stay close to you. Lord, thank you for guiding our lives. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you that we can trust you with the outcome. And we say your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, and orchestrate our life and use our life to bring about your perfect work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.